Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. Hey folks, and welcome to the next episode of The Prestige, a Christmas episode, although Christmas isn't going to feature heavily in this episode. As always, we watch a movie, we talk about the movie, we review the movie, and we discuss some of the ideas and themes that that movie throws up. And as always, we end the show with our recommendations, other movies, and occasionally books, and occasionally other things that we recommend based on this week's movie. Sometimes they are things we think you should watch instead of this. Sometimes it's, we love this, you'll love this too. But it's always a recommendation or two from us. But as always, we start the show with what else we've been watching. It is the Christmas period, so that may fit definitely, or it may not, because we are also dads of kids, so it could be a lot of kids' films. Sam, what have you been enjoying in the last two weeks? Right, nothing to do with either of those things. Uh, (laughs) So... Because I have very little time for myself, because of aforementioned children, um, I would take the opportunity to watch something entirely unsuitable in the precious little time that I have. And so what I'm watching recently is an, an, incredib- an incredibly violent um it's very interesting, actually. It's it's about superhero, but it's very definitely an antidote to sort of the overwhelming glut of superhero TV adaptations and films and all that. Um, it's refreshingly anti-superheroes. Um, and it's called The Boys. It's uh, on Amazon Prime, and it has... Carl Urban and Jack Quaid and also um, Simon Pegg as Jack Quaid's dad and I was really shocked to see Simon Pegg now being old enough to play someone's dad Um, Mm. but after I got over that shock and the shock of an American accent he's actually quite good American accent it was good Um, and yeah it starts in the premise that um, superheroes are accepted throughout this society of the time, this is American society, and um, there are a small number of people who are not happy with the sort of the innate arrogance of the superheroes and some of the um, collateral damage, in inverted commas, that gets explained away. Um, and it's the sort of thing that you see a huge set piece in Avengers Assemble and you think, well, how many people were affected by that? So it's a TV series that sort of answers that and it's a sort of a group of vigilantes who go up against this monolith of the superhero genre. So yeah, it was quite it was refreshingly anti superhero and it was it was good fun. It, as I said, incredibly violent. So not a kids film and not really that suitable for Christmas, but you know what? It's good fun. I think it's interesting because I know I haven't seen the show, but I have read the comics that it's based on. And the in the original version, Huey, who is the main character, is based on Nick, um, in, based on Simon Pegg. Oh right. So it is strange that he's now the development time from the comic <laughs> to the uh, the show is he's now aged up enough yes. to play the dad rather than the lead. 
How about you, Rob? So I have, I'm in the season. It's Christmas season. Um, it's a time for goodwill among all men. And so I've mainly been watching horror films. Um, as is my way. But one of them, one of them is kind of Christmas related. So I've got two I'm going to talk about. Um, one is called Happy Death Day. It's 2017 black comedy movie about. Um, essentially I could say the best way to describe it is Groundhog Day meets Scream. It's a girl's birthday. It ends with her being killed by a serial killer. And then she wakes up at the start of the day again, has to live a day over and over again while she works out who the killer is. It's interesting the lead tree is unrepentantly unlikable as a person. She is aggressive and unfriendly and aloof. And the movie is much about her kind of getting over herself as it is solving the murder. It's funny. It's got some good kills in it. And it's very, I suppose, a very interesting take on a otherwise kind of stale genre of a slasher film. Talking of st- um, new takes on stale genres, my other film is a, another 2017 British film this time called Anna and the Apocalypse, which is a Christmas, a Christmas zombie musical. <laughs> because of course it is. Um, it's set in, I think it's set in Northern Ireland or I don't know, I don't know I'd say I like it's set in Scotland and it's about a teenage girl who's kind of dealing with all of that who at a Christmas do zombies outbreak and she has to fight her way across town to find her dad and rescue her friends, really. Uh, but it is a Christmas film. So it's at Christmas. There are, you know, the, the poster of her holding a giant candy cane. She fights Santas and zombies and a one zombie dressed as a snowman. And it's also a musical. Um, so it is very out there, very kind of wacky, but uh, it really kind of tickled me for a kind of Christmassy film. Uh, that's the one I've been watching. So... We are um, four films into our latest genre, folks. We're going through um, this series, the the fourth season of the podcast. We're looking at um, various genres, and our genre at the moment is high school movies. And as I said, the fourth episode, we've got to 1996 and The Craft. To the other kids at St. Bernard Academy, they were the girls who didn't belong. Whatever you do, stay away from them. Why? They're witches. But after years of being on the outside... Why'd you lie about me? I don't want to go out with you again. Please, stop begging. It's pathetic. Four girls are about to discover the dark side. You ever heard of invoking the spirit? Black magic. The craft is a... Now, to describe it, sort of high school slash comedy slash dark slash horror slash supernatural slash whatever film. Um, and it centers on this group of four girls who attend um, a fairly prestigious Catholic school in California, and one of whom has recently arrived in the town. And there are good performances from a young Ned Campbell, young Faroza Bunk, and also um, Robin Turner in the lead. No, Robin Tunney in the lead. Where I've got Turner from. The four main girls deal with um, the they've been sort of outcast from society and it's their way of dealing with this 
um, and they each of them has their cross to bear, as it were. Um, Nick Campbell's character um, got fairly severe burns in a car accident. Uh, Rosa Bolt's character comes from a particularly deprived background, and um, Rachel True's character is the subject of some fairly awful racial abuse. And Robin Tully comes into this, um, I suppose, this group of young girls, and they have a particular way of dealing with all these hardships, and the film is about that way of dealing with them. So, Rob, what, were your take? what was your take on this? I re- really enjoyed this. I must say, I think we highlighted last week that this new this movie is new to both of us. Um, we both just never really watched it as a teenager. I think because the film is so female-focused and so sort of clearly pitched at that kind of teenage girl world, us going to a all-boys school, it probably slipped in the radar a little bit for us. But that's, a, I suppose, a sad thing. I really enjoyed it. I thought some of the effects certainly have dated from its time, um, from the sort of mid-90s onwards. But other ones, some of the stuff is genuinely unnerving. Um, some of the they bring up, all the, um, there's a scene later on with, I think, like tens of thousands of animals, of snakes and things like that. And that, that's physical effects, but that stuff's genuinely unnerving. As you say, some great performances throughout. I think it's, if we're going to tie it into more of our, uh, thematic look at uh, high school movies it does do some things to deal with and talk about what high school's like and the intensity of friendships and also the viciousness of friendships when they turn sour of that age and how things matter and then don't matter and how big things can become and the aftermath of that so i think there's some interesting things there it puts it through a supernatural lens of these young witches coming into their power but I think it doesn't shy away from some of the problems in the world and some of the effects of those, be they racism or classism or sexual assault. They're all sort of in there and in the, the, the melting pot of these, this female anger the film is sort of built around. How did you find it, Sam? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, actually. Like you said, it's a little bit dated, and I did think from that opening sequence with the the clouds and the plane how this is a very late 90s film mm. but it, yeah it didn't feel that matters and some of the effects like you say are particularly unnerving and even some of the effects when when the girls for example get um they have have a sort of have a sleepover, um, and they decide what they're going to do. And one of the things they're going to do is play a game with Rachel True, where they um, levitate her. It was something quite. I, I was impressed by that in a way that I don't, don't you don't expect things like that to be particularly impressive, but. Mm. There was something quite, and it's something quite clean about it. It's something quite physically impressive about it. Seamless as well. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I I enjoyed the. I mean, the the lead performance is very good. Um, I thought Nev Campbell's character was a bit of. A, they could have made it more out of her transformation from sort of tortured soul into mm. uh, 
beautiful young woman sort of thing. Um, and I think I, that, that would be something I'd say about about um, about all of the characters actually. Also, um, Rachel True's transformation from someone who's the subject of racial abuse to someone turning it back, and I kind of wanted to see a bit more out of that. And when the scene where she finds, um, is it Laura or Lizzie? Or is it Laura Lizzie? Laura Lizzie. Yeah, Laura is crying, crying in the shower, and I wanted to see more from Rachel True's character at that point. I wanted to see what Rochelle felt about that situation. Mm. So I think there are a couple of games when this story didn't do some of the ancillary characters any favours in terms of developing them. But in general, I thought it was it was good fun, and it had. I felt I I don't know why there might be something in it. It felt like it would be the sort of homely horror of something like Lost Boys from the previous decade, mm. and that's not to denigrate it at all. That's I mean I generally enjoyed it because of that. I I, I see what you're saying. I think it's interesting that you picked up on on Rochelle and that scene with the shack. That scene really struck with me because. It was the one scene in the movie I really felt where the the Coven of Witches actually felt some emotional reaction to their actions. Yeah. In you know, you've got the the f- four of them um in their sort of and they all have their own little wish and as to uh how they want things and Bonnie obviously wishes to get her scars removed and Nancy wishes for power and Sarah wishes for to be be literally loved. And Rochelle is the one who sees her her wish, her her spell come true, and actually has to face the intended consequences of that. Mm. Whereas, I mean, Bonnie obviously there's a sort of a, they have a scene in which she sees her scars come back all over her face, and like, but that's that's a glamorous illusion. And Sarah obviously it ends in sort of a sexual assault, which is when um, Chris tries to rape her, but it isn't a kind of I did this person like when he's clearly unwell and suffering she doesn't really seem to care when, when he's at, at her window and obviously Nancy through everything she goes through doesn't seem to really care about what I think she's doing but yeah. there's that scene with Rochelle where she's just kind of like, she's seeing the pain she's caused another person and it's giving her pause and I, I felt there was a really like that was interesting that the film did that with one of the characters yeah, but I, didn't do I it all felt, I, I wanted more of that because mm-hmm. it was just like she could have, the film could have done much more, and we could have had like another scene where Rochelle is focused on this. But it was just like, it was just a bit, okay, we're going to stop and look at it for a 30 second shot, and then we're going to move on. And I, I feel like the film missed out in that respect. You could have had a little bit more of that. I, I understand what you're saying. I, I think the film could have done more with that, but I think that wasn't the film. It was like, Ultimately, the film is about the relationship between Nancy and Sarah. Mm. Um, and Bonnie and Rochelle are secondary to that. Um, and I think, I mean, I think we're, we're saying, we're praising the film quite generally. But I think there's also a reading of this film that's quite a bit darker um, in that Nancy, really all Nancy wants is to be out of poverty and out of pain. She clearly lives in, this, in, a, in a trailer with her mum and her stepdad. Her stepdad is physically abusive. Her mum doesn't seem to care. She, you know, there's, there's an early scene in which Rochelle, you know, she, she wants to be not white trash. 
And that is her biggest, biggest driver. And then you've got, she's going up against Sarah, who's clearly this independently wealthy family who live in a very nice suburb of LA. And there's always these, there's a very classist element to this. And there's, and there's a reading I was thinking watching it of kind of like a lot of the moral of this movie is kind of know your place. Mm. And I'm you know, that, yeah. and and Nancy, granted, Nancy goes kind of wild with the power, and starts to cross those boundaries and turn on each other. But you know, Sarah is a a natural witch, uh, which causes division and has a comfortable life. You know, she can she she tries to commit suicide and is clearly going through some horrible emotional problems. But her family is rich enough to up sticks and move to LA and buy a nice big house and. Not really worry about other things, whereas Nancy hasn't got that. That's a really good point. I was just just thinking there about the way that the two were presented, and one one of the things you see both of them doing is lying on the bed, looking up at the ceiling. And when Sarah is presented in bed, it's like it's it's light and it's warm and it's kindly shot and you can tell it's quite a comfortable environment and then when Nancy's shot in it she's she's collapses in in the trailer when you first see her at home it's it's horrible and it's dark and you can tell it's cold and she's there keeping her coat on you think mm-hmm. well yeah there's a huge discrepancy there in the way that the two of them are presented yeah I think the film doesn't doesn't do anything with that. Um, but I think there's certainly an element of that of like you know you do, the power these girls are given to rile against the the patriarchy, the problems they face, be it racism, be it the systemic judgment of those with scars or classism. And they're given this power, but then they're kind of told also don't use it. Mm. You know, it, it is in many ways a wish fulfillment movie in that these people wish for their problems to go away and for justice to be done and. You know, even Sarah's wish is just kind of like this guy was was a dickhead to her, and she wants she wants him to like him. Um, but they're all presented as kind of like bad things. You know, we're often seeing things in films like Wishmaster, where you know you wish for a certain thing, but the genie is renowned for twisting that into something bad. That's a common trope. You here you have that same thing of the wish goes bad and the wish gets out of control and the power gets out of control. And the film doesn't do it much to kind of address that in terms of its like of, of that kind of power. The film is in many ways a kind of feminist revenge fantasy, mm. um, and I think it's a very powerful one. I think the film does take these otherwise you know petite feminine characters and give them a world of power to exact revenge and stand up for themselves and have power that otherwise society doesn't give them. But then it also would come with the, it gives up the point with the backhand kind of goes, but also be careful. Don't still know your place. Mm. Something, I was just think, think when you're talking there, something the film does quite clearly. So, I'm loath to mention this because of what I'm going to but a film like She's All That... It's a modern classic. It's a modern classic. <laughs> the female lead is presented as geeky and no one likes her and she looks ugly, is obviously incredibly good-looking. Yes. And then at the end of the film, takes her glasses off and she's, diff- she's not different at all. She was always good-looking. 
this one of the really good things about this film is you're right. It's it's prevent, presented as a feminist revenge fantasy, but there's there's never that sort of sleight of hand around presenting them as ugly girls. It's mm. obvious these four are incredibly good looking, but yes. they are ostracised within the school community because of the way they behave. And there's no there's no no point where you can think well. This just doesn't make sense because you kind of know that that's this is you're talking about the the way that this is particularly faithful to the way that teenagers are and the way that high schools are and and you're right it's that thing of I mean people just get on with each other intensely or hate each other and there's no real reason I thought the one of the most honest scenes in the film was also one of the most horrible exchanges in the film when Rachel True says to Laura, when Rochelle says to Laura, why are you doing this to me? And she just looks at her and says, it's because I don't like Negroids. And you think that's that's horrible. Yep. And yet that is why, I mean, 16-year-old girls are horrible. And, well, not always, I'm generalising, but they can be like that. Yeah, teenagers in general are vicious in that respect. And I, I did read an interesting uh, story about um, this, in which the actress who played uh, Laura Lizzie what, had to shoot that scene several times and would profusely apologise to Rachel True <laughs> after every single take. <laughs> um, and I understand, you know, that that's that acting. But I think you're right. I think the film, film doesn't shy away from that kind of... Um, Nastiness, and I think that's where the strength of this film, the enduring nature of this film, comes in. Because even in the sort of heightened nature of the supernatural battles between Nancy and Sarah, it is about that kind of feeling of teenage friendship that can turn toxic. We've all had friendships that we were really intense friends for a while, and then it burns out in many ways. Some just fade out, but you have friendships that kind of just go toxic really fast. And this is taken to extreme. It's certainly, you know, telling it at a really large scale, shall we say. But it is that kind of core truth. I think that's what I'm seeing with this season we're doing around high school movies, is that they all seem to try and nail down this core experience of being a teenager, be it one core or the whole experience. But they are looking for that experience you know ultimately a lot of these movies are made for teenagers and up you know like we neither of you or me are teenagers and we're still doing this and still enjoying the films and so i think that it's trying that they're seeking for some sort of universality some sort of universal truth of experience and that's what this one's going for is that kind of sense of friendship and that's i think that might be why i thought of lost boys when when thinking about this film because that's another film that is sort of very much like parts of it are located in being a teenager or being in your own twenty, the experience of youth. And yet there's some felt something very universal about it. Mm. In the same way that there's universality here. Yeah, I see what you're saying, and certainly the link with Lost Boys. And that's where I think there's an interesting compare and contrast with Dead Poet Society. That was an all male group. And it was about that kind of brotherhood of man and what that's kind of like. And this is clearly about the female experience. I mean, 
I it's one of those things that you kind of I have to read around the movie. But there's a lot of talk about the kind of scenes of them hanging out in the house and having these kind of slump parties that hit on something that hadn't been seen previously. Now that isn't something I experienced not being a teenage girl at any point in my life. Um, and it's also been talked about being the, the anti-clueless. This is the idea of trying to represent this real kind of alternative world. And I think as a kid who was alternative, um, I do understand, like, part of that I get is that this, this sort of us and them mentality the film trying to portray. I think the comparison with Dead Poets Society is a good one, though, because this is another... Um, I mean, yes, there are universes about it. It's saying things about the teenage experience, and like you said, it may be saying new things about female teenage experience, but like the Poet it's set in a very cloistered world. Mm. Cloistered in both senses of cloistered. It's, it's secluded from the rest of society and also is particularly religious. Um, so... It was there's a sense in which this doesn't feel real as well. And I think that that might help because there's something unreal about the experience of school anyway. Mm. It is a world, a world all of its own, but also part as separate from the wider world. Mm. And this yeah. film, I felt, I mean, this film really nailed that feeling of like being part of a wider world. We haven't really seen too much. I mean, we saw a bit with Days Confused, but that was a very different kind of world they're portraying. Okay, that was a teenage-only world. Whereas here, there was certainly a wider world going on, which these are young girls at times lost in. Yeah. You've got a feeling of LA in this place and the beach and that sort of stuff. I was think, thinking about, and like moving on to the end of the film, thinking about those scenes with... Um, the girls and particularly Nancy and Sarah, but there was something like you were talking about the way that relationships can turn toxic. And I was thinking about the way in which bullying works within a group who are themselves bullied. Mm. And there is some, there's almost something more vicious about it because these are people who've had the experience of being mistreated or being called the bitches of Eastwick. Mm. And when they found something, and that thing has turned out not to be what they wanted. It's kind of like when, when Nancy was saying, well, this is what they did to witches who betrayed their cousin. But this this is kind of what they feel Sarah has done. They mm. feel Sarah has turned against them. And there's something, because of that, even more, almost more brutal about that sort of bullying within an otherwise bullied group. Well, I think it's, I mean, if you want to draw some real world parallels here, there's a whole, I suppose, things, the, 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 the toxicity that exists within sort of modern day nerd fandom, um, comes from a place of the similar thing where, you know, a lot of modern day nerds grew up being bullied for their passions. And there's mm. somehow this feeling among them that they are somehow justified when they either turn on each other or turn on others. Like the, they, they can't be bullied because they've been bullied. Yeah. And so you get, you always get snow blind to what's going on. And it's so prevalent in the kind of nerd community and that the, the amount of people in Star Wars who have quit being online because of the abuse they receive for the movies is amazing. But it's mm. all, you know, these are the people who were bullied growing up for liking this stuff who now, as you say, use that experience themselves, but they can't recognize it. They can't see what they're doing as bullying. They just see it as revenge and taking theirs. I put up with it. Why shouldn't they? I think it's interesting you 
highlight that because they, the girls are bullies of, of each other and others. But they never see it though. They see it as, you know, rightfully theirs because they have power, which yeah. the bullies think as well, but that they can't, they can't have that self-awareness to see it. There is a great, uh, you see, have you watched Modern Family? No, I haven't. There is a brilliant episode at the end of a recent series, I think series eight or nine, um, where two of the main characters who are um, men in, well, they, they're 40 year old men, um, they sort of indulge something that's been within them for their whole lives and they go to a convention and there's, I mean, they're dressed up as characters from, it's essentially Game of Thrones, although it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's one scene where um, one of them gets picked on for something he's done and there's a speech the other one makes to to everyone collectively. And he's like, well, yes, this is, this is the point. And he's speaking exactly about the way that people within the nerd community can get turned on and mm. so so viciously as well. Yeah, it's it's unfortunately part of that scene. Mm. On Cheerio, do you have anything for us to recommend, Sam? Yes. Um I have gone straight down the line with this one. I could have thought about directors and cinematographers and it that's something that was was quite refreshing about this film actually the cinematography was great um, but I have just gone with two actor connections one is is it Fazura Bak or Faruza Bak? Faruza I've always said it to me Faruza yes it means turquoise in Farsi um, right. but I don't know how to spell it um, she was in Almost Famous in 2000 and yeah, it's not not the world's greatest film, but it, it's it's good fun, and mm. um, it, yeah, I suppose it, it questions things that people might have thought about the music industry. Um, so my second recommendation is another actress. It's Nev Campbell or Neve Campbell, however you say it. How do you, how do you say it? I've always said it as Neve Campbell. Okay. One of their names, Ms. Campbell. Um, and the link is to Scream, um, which we have done on this podcast before, but I haven't mentioned it in a while. And, um, and you talked about this film as being sort of something that people hadn't really seen on screen before, it's like that female experience. Um, when compared, I suppose the, the screen experience of, female magic witches would be bewitched that the girls actually watch at one point mm. um, so th- this felt like something new in that genre and something else that felt like something new at the time was Scream and um, yeah okay there have been lots and lots and lots of sequels and of, of if it decreasing quality but the first one was brilliant the first one was really good Cool. Well, what about you? So I have gone the cinematographer route. Um, cinematographer, I'm going to probably brutalize his name now. Alexander Grzynski, I believe. Um, I, I agree. I think the film looked great. It really captured, A, the moodiness of the scene, but also the light and the sort of the, 
anarchic punk fun of their friendships. I really like that. And he also um, was was the DOP, the director of photography, on a film that I love from a few years earlier. Uh, that's the 1990 film Tremors, starring everyone's friend Kevin Bacon. It's a classic of the sort of horror genre about earth-eating monsters that burrow under a small town in Texas. And the natives of that town have to defend themselves against them. It's black comedic in the same way that the craft is, and it looks great. It's very different in terms, but that kind of open-skied feeling of of Texas. I think it's Texas. I'm saying Texas. I'm presuming it is. It looks like Texas. Um, or New Mexico, somewhere around there. Um, it's about their... It's, it, it's about the people surviving, but it looks brilliant, and it really captures some of the feelings of the dread and the terror of the camera tricks they use are very good. I've just Googled it. It's Nevada, but yeah. who cares? There we go. One of those American states, he says, from a thousand miles away in, in Britain, not knowing these things. But <laughs> it's desert, you know. Um, they wear hats. So my second recommendation, which I don't think is a surprise to anyone who knows me, is a film from, I believe, the year before, which is the 1995 film Empire Records. My it, my one fact about this is that um, what's her name was wearing an Orton wig throughout the filming of this yes, because Ro- she wrapped so recently on it. Yeah, Robin Turney, who who shaves her head in a early scene in Empire Records, thus had to wear a wig for the craft. Um, this is a film that I have loved since my early days of liking movies. It's one of the movies that made me want to make films. I did think about including it in this season. Um, it is a teen coming-of-age drama, but it doesn't really feature school at any point, and so it felt hard to kind of jab it into the season somewhere line. But I, I think it's brilliant. For me, it is one of the, the core texts of the American sort of coming-of-age genre. She's written it. She's a very different character. She's an angry punk goth girl um, who struggles with a with suicide but not with magic um, and she's a very different kind of character very kind of much more spiky and unfriendly compared to Sarah but yeah the movie I, I've, I've spoken about it a lot um, anyone who knows me knows I push it quite hard um, on all my friends if they haven't seen it and I think it's uh, it's a core text so yeah Empire Records and Tremors Brilliant. So next week we're continuing our um, high school season with the 1999 movie Ten Things I Hate About You, starring a, I suppose it's, is it the first film he did? Heath Ledger. Certainly, certainly his breakout role. Mm, yes, yeah. So I look forward to that. Yes, yes. Uh, till then, guys, Merry Christmas, first of all. Um, hopefully this is is going to go out on the 23rd and you can have it just in time for Christmas and we'll see you guys back here in a couple of now actually Sam has kind of misled you a little bit there because our next episode isn't going to be it's not going to be a normal episode as always we end our year by talking about our favourite films of the year because we have young children we haven't actually been to the movies that much this year so we're going to take the opportunity to do something a bit bigger and talk about the top five movies of the last decade. We're heading into 2020s, into the roaring 20s, um, as it's probably not going to be. Um, so we're going to look back over the last 10 years of movies and try to pick out five that are our favourites. And we will return in the new year with 10 Things Hate About You. Till then, you can find both of us online at Prestige Podcast. 
You find just me at life underscore academic. And you can find just me at Kaiju FM. And we'll see you back here in a couple of weeks' time.